Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a podcast that showcases the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. You can boost your mindset, boost your mental skills today by just this concept of catching yourself being great. Hi again, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to this month's episode of What's Your Why? When Heather and I brainstorm guests and ideas, it seems like a reoccurring theme for us is the importance of mental skills, health, and overall well-being. Mental skills are tools for the mind that I've learned might include positive talk, enhancing confidence, goal setting, and achieving a productive mindset. These skills serve as crossover into every facet of life, whether professional, personal, sport, or academic. And developing mental skills is so important on the road to becoming the best version of yourself. That being said, it only makes sense that if you're looking to improve your mental skills, then you should seek out and welcome the help of a mental skills coach, which you guessed it, leads me to the introduction of today's guest. Tanya Johnston is what I would describe to be one of the greatest ideas and manifestations to hit the equestrian industry. She's a mental skills coach and author who works with riders all over the world specializing with equestrian athletes of all disciplines. In addition to authoring a successful publication called Inside Your Ride, Tanya also works with individual clients of all ages. She conducts mental training clinics at private facilities and works with academic equestrian teams as well. If that weren't enough, she also finds time to share her insights through a monthly podcast called Inside Your Ride and through a regular column in Practical Horsemen and Eventing USA. Tanya's been featured in many equestrian publications, including the Chronicle of the Horse, the Equestrian News, the Plaid Horse, and Equine Journal, to name just a few, and continues assisting people like you and I through her book club, Inside Your Ride, The Book Club, and online group, The Mindset Boost. It was a pleasure to speak to Tanya and a gift to connect with her insight. Tanya Johnston is a rare slice of life that you'll be glad to give your time to. Enjoy the episode. You know, gratitude is such a great foundation for everything in life. We're here today with Tanya Johnston. Thank you so much for being here with us. She's coming from the sunny side of the world, mental skills coach and everything good. Thank you so much for being here and joining us today. Thank you. Nice to be here. I'm honored that you wanted to have me on. Absolutely. So I've been curious about your start. And now that I have you here, my first question is, what was your why for getting started in the field? And why did you direct your efforts towards equestrianism? Yeah, so I started riding when I was five, or actually put on a horse when I was two in front of my mom on a Western saddle in Colorado. And they, we still have a picture of that. Um, and loved horses and knew horses were going to be in my life forever. So at a very young age, my my desire and my passion for riding was so, it was like everything I thought about all the time. I was one of those kids that watched the clock on the wall, like when is school going to get out? Because today is my one lesson of the week. Like on Fridays, I think I had my lesson. And so I was just like so 
like that was the my whole purpose. Like it was like it was all the briar horses in the backyard and they all had names mm-hmm. and they all had divisions that they showed in, even though I didn't really know what all that meant. And so I think that all of my passion was I was a little on the intense side. I was a little bit like if you look at pictures when I I like did my first horse show when I was five, uh, which was a little like, you know, walk trot stuff, that kind of thing. Uh, And I had a pretty darn serious look on my face. Like it was like, okay, this is happening. You know what I mean? It wasn't (laughs) like a wee. It was like a, how can I be the very best I can be? And even the, the this funny story of we were in a lesson and our trainer before cell phones got called out of the ring. And so there's like five of us on our little ponies and I'm literally probably five years old. And I start noticing like, hmm, I think I'm starting to list to the right. Like I, I have the memory very strong <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of, all right, wait, I think, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then I'm suddenly like, really quite underneath the pony, like almost upside down. And everyone's telling me, you know, just let go. And I remember like, you're not supposed to fall off. Like you shouldn't let go. You should never give up. And I'm clinging to the pony and the trainer is not in the ring. So all the parents at the side are trying to coach me what to do. I'm like, no, you guys like trainer's gone. Like I'm not listening. I'm not letting you guys don't know what's what's going on. I'm not letting you. So anyway, it was just like a clear illustration of, Almost like the overtry was that's a good illustration of take your foot off the gas here, kiddo. Like it's a, it's okay. Like, you know, but there was that just wanting to do it well and wanting to be successful and listening. I was a very good listener and all of that. I have another great story that I think as I look back is a little bit what shaped me into thinking that we all have some sort of control over our circumstances in our sport, in this case, riding through our preparation was, again, like, I think the following year, another horse show when I was six, it was a schooling show, and they had a several rings going and one of the rings had an obstacle course, right? So Uh because it was a lesson barn, and it was like, but it was a big, it was a big barn. Yeah, like, but it was like a big, right? So and of course, me being the little overachiever, I was like, mom, we got to get there early, right? So we got it. We got to get there. So we're getting there. We could probably got there like an hour before the, the whole thing started. And I go walking around, I'm looking and I know I'd been signed up for the obstacle course. And so I go to the ring and I, and it turns out that the course is posted in the barn, not next to the ring. So you had to go memorize the course away from the ring, right? And let me say that in the Olympics of obstacle courses like this was impressive okay there was like a bridge there was barrels you had to carry this football there was a mailbox I mean I'm telling you all of this is still ingrained we have like one picture of me my outfit for the day was a pair of bell bottoms because this was 1974 (laughs) 75 right Mm -hmm. and an orange polka dot shirt. I love that. that. It looks like I just want a stage of the Tour de France. Like, I don't even know what we were thinking that this was a good idea. And I'm riding an adorable little paint pony. So the whole picture was just like quite amazing. Priceless. I am like in it to be like, I'm all about it. Like I'm, the, I'm like, okay, get me at, let me, let me in there. So I'm learning the course. I'm noticing all the things and 
I am like, all right, I think I got this. Like, I think one of the older kids was trying to help me like learn it. And because I was like there so early, they're like, okay, you can go first. Well, this means that I hadn't watched anyone do it. Right. So like really had to rely on, okay, girl, like go over it in your head. Remember that you go, you turn left, you go to the barrel, you pick up the football, you take it to the other barrel, then you pick up the trot. Yeah, it was a lot. lot It was right. It seems like in retrospect, right? Anyhow, so we complete the whole thing. I'm ecstatic. My parents are like the only ones at the ring clap. Like it's all good, right? So then uh, we go through the rest of the day. Well, this class goes on for hours because everyone on the property is in the class, right? So I go and do other flat classes. I come back. I check on the ring. I'm watching people. I'm thinking, you know, I don't think she sat trot in the right place. I'm oh. Mm that person, oh, that she did that really well. Like, I'm just sort of noticing, noticing, noticing. Then finally, like, whatever, sometime in the afternoon, they finally finish. And I'm like, wow, there were so many people like, there's no way I'm going to get a ribbon. But that was so fun. I really, you know, enjoyed the whole process. Well, of course, it turns out what I think, this is what I think happened. The very end, they had you trot from one end to the other. And I think it was because the course was so long. I think the course design was finally like, that we just got to get them out of the ring. Right. But you had to post it. But for for half alongside, you had to post and then you had to sit trot. I had done it like on the mark of middle of the long. Like I had just like that whole thing. So anyway, so I ended up winning the class. And I think nice. that all of my little neurons in my brain connected to the point where I was like, oh, wow, like my hard work, like the fact that I got there early, the fact that I memorized it, like there must've been something, my little wheels are turning. And I'm thinking, I wasn't, I didn't believe like I was some great rider or something. I just knew that like I wanted it and that I was going to work really hard for Mm -hmm. it. And so I think there was something in that experience that sort of helped me understand like, okay, so when you're prepared, when you feel a little bit organized, like all these things are going to help. Obviously, I wasn't thinking that at the time. I was just thrilled. But I think in retrospect, that's just an example of one of those experiences that helped me kind of start believing that I could help myself a little bit by how Mm -hmm. I looked at something, by feeling Mm -hmm. like, okay, get prepared, get organized, uh, think it through, be focused. Like some of these things that I I started to understand, like some of that's going to pay off. And So growing up riding, I had a lot of different experiences. I ended up, I had some great training. I had some zero training where I had like a year where in sixth grade, I had a, I was able to ride this pony and I was on my own. I was out there with Practical Horseman Magazine with like the course of the McClay finals with like literally, and I'm not kidding, like flower pots and like broomsticks and like building these courses and like, I think there's a part of when you're passionate about something and you're curious how to make yourself better, you explore all different kinds of ways of doing it. And I had to be quite creative. So I I think that I was already on my way to asking myself in these days, you know, growing up, asking myself like, okay, how, how do you ride best? How is this going to work? How are you going to improve? you know, going to horse shows and, and I was a hot mess. I was, I wanted it so bad that I didn't sleep. And then I was getting there to the show. I hadn't eaten breakfast. I mean, I was something, and I was a quite a learning curve of how do you support yourself? How do you ride well on a consistent basis? And that was something I was kind of learning trial and error as I grew up. 
So I, we couldn't really afford for me to have my own horse. I was always catch riding. I kind of rode for some different sales barns. In the summers, I would ride with Sue Payne at Smith College. So I mm-hmm. did have a consistent program in the summers, but and that was really helpful. I believe so much in experience as a teacher. And a lot of these experiences, I really had to craft and develop. And and it ended up that I started recognizing like, wow, my mindset really matters. Because as I catch rode and had different relationships with different horses, the through line was always me, right? Mm-hmm. So I really knew, I started understanding, you got to believe you can do this because this is like the second time you've ridden this horse and you're going to go do the children's hunters or whatever it is. So I think that that helped me get this idea of be curious, look for solutions, look for ways to help. And so it was obviously it was directed at myself there growing up. But then I was also curious, like, well, how do the best people do it? What are they doing? Like, what kind of conversations are they having at the back gate? And I grew up in Santa Barbara and um, Earl Warren Showgrounds is a great old showgrounds. And they have a this place called the Dome. And it's not really an indoor, but it has uh, formal seating all the way around. And it has a chute that you go in when you're waiting at the back gate. So you could kind of stand almost over on a breezeway over the people at the back gate. So I could kind of overhear things and watch things and see the body language and see how people were riding and what attitude they carried into the ring and how that ended up working out in how their round went. I was always fascinated by that behind the scenes stuff. Uh, And I always was interested in psychology through high school. We actually had a, a psychology class in my high school that I knew I was interested in and then was a psych major. And really at the late 80s, you know, sports psychology in in this country was still fairly young and there wasn't a lot of talk. I didn't really know about it as a field. And in college, uh, heard about it and heard about a conference, went to a conference, a sports psychology conference and was like, wow, I've found it. This is it. Right. I had already established that I didn't want to be a professional rider. I didn't want to be a professional trainer or that kind of thing. I'd had some experience as a junior with some riding jobs and had noticed myself on more than one occasion, not wanting to go to the barn. No, and I yeah. was like, oh no, 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 that's not going to do. I That was yeah. just like red flag, not happening. I'm keeping riding for me. That's going to be a passion. And on the flip side, I always knew psychology was interesting, but I didn't want to do the clinical side. Like I wasn't interested in talking about the problem. I wasn't interested in asking about history. I was more like, okay, so this is what we, this is where we are. What are we going to do about it? Exactly. I was just, uh, because I'd always had that attitude for myself. That's what kind of kept me going. Like I didn't bemoan the, I didn't sit around crying about the fact that I couldn't own my own horse. I was like, all right, well, you want to ride. And it's really important that you ride. So what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How are you going to fix it? Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I heard about sports psychology and went ahead and got my master's in sports psychology, an applied sports psychology program where I got to do several internships with athletes and volleyball and swimming and tennis and and riding. I was just like a fish in water. Like I was just so happy. So, so happy. Was so excited to get started working. And, you know, it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't talked about. It was still sort of shrouded in, you know, that girl has a problem. She needs to go talk to someone. It was all very hush-hush. It was all very 
you know, you didn't want to be identified as the mental or the head case, you know, that kind of thing, a lot of negative bias around it, which I think still exists a tiny bit, but boy, it is like at least 95% different than when I was coming up. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right. So as I started, that was in 93, I finished my master's. I, so I just Mm -hmm. got right out of the gate and started and really had to build a practice that was all sports because there wasn't really enough equestrian in any one area. I don't care where you live. I lived in the Bay Area, but still, I don't think anywhere you might have lived because you have made a living just working with one sport because there's no internet, right? So there's no way of getting the word out what you do. So just started and got going and stayed involved with my university, ran a camp for at-risk youth where we used sports psychology skills as life skills where mm-hmm. these were incarcerated kids and we were we were sort of accessing their interest and motivation through sport and non-traditional sport and group t- group problem solving games and team building work um, we would take them to a ropes course which was a super transformational experience i love that i directed that camp for about 10 years so that was sort of uh, supplement the work i was doing and i did also i taught in the graduate program after a few years i went back and started teaching so as my practice got going, I was doing some of that. But then as the internet came on, I was able to do a lot more writing and get, get my name out there more and more. And it blossomed from there. My interest was always in helping people actualize their potential. So I think that's where, you know, a lot of times people are in a similar situation. They want it so much that they end up, you know, getting in their own way and they forget, they don't really realize you know, what they're capable of and just need help kind of channeling that desire, right? Mm-hmm. And and helping mm-hmm. themselves gain awareness about what works for them and understanding different skills and tools they can use to really help bring out their best on a really consistent basis and also handle the ups and downs. Like any sport, you're going to have ups and downs. It's not all going to be sunshine and roses. And what do you do when the chips are down? What do you do when you didn't sleep well the night before and you still have an important class that day? Mm -hmm. That's where mental toughness comes in. When things are happening that are unexpected or, you know, undesirable, you want to stay focused on what you can do in that situation instead of mentally kind of throwing your hands up of like, oh, I'm just nervous today. I guess I'm just going to ride terrible. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the techniques seem to be like you can use the the techniques across all fields. It doesn't seem to be specific to sport. Yeah. Um, You can also use the techniques in life practice, as you said before. Yes. There's a lot of crossover. I actually just wrote an article for the Plaid Horse on using your going the other way, using your life skills as mental skills for your sport. But yes, that 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 goes both both ways. I think we somehow create as if like the barn is like this separate entity and you know, there's a lot of around the culture where you're anytime you are learning from someone who's really good at something, you kind of throw your hands up and say, tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is appropriate because you do want to get, get great um, instruction, but there's part of that where you may have mental skills and strengths that you want to make sure you're bringing to the barn with you instead of, you know, forgetting like, Hey, I'm, I'm a super organized person, or I'm a person who believes in effort, that effort is going to get me through. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and trying and staying in the process, you know, if that's something you are, you know, for example, if you're, let's say you're an artist and you know that like there's going to be a bunch of uh, not great work before the masterpiece, you know what I mean? Like, okay, that's, let's, can we bring that attitude into our writing and not think that, oh my gosh, you know, the very first time I, I jump the new division has to be like amazing out of the gate. Like this is mm-hmm. a process. Writing is a process. You improve over time. You work on the physical skills. You work on the mental skills. You blend it all together, right? So, but yeah, absolutely. The life skills blend in, like the courage you show in other areas of your life, that courage you can bring to bear in your writing and vice versa. And it is good to think about that, that blend. Yeah, yeah, how it crosses over. Right, right. Do you think that having a competitive nature is something that enhances, I don't want to say success because I believe that everybody's level of success is their own, Mm -hmm. but do you think that being competitive is something that enhances success, I guess, for lack of a better term, whatever your success might be? Right. Yeah. So a couple of things. One is for sure, you want to make sure you're the one defining what success is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's important. And I think competition is useful for getting one's blood up. But I think that the most important piece is being competitive with yourself and mm-hmm. being better than you were yesterday or last year or, you know, in the last round. A lot of times when you have back-to-back rounds, like let's say you were an 89 in the first round, you have another round to do you can't go in just saying, Oh God, I hope I ride like that. You got to be hungry to do better. You got to be hungry to understand like, where's the places that I can still be polishing. So if competition leads you to be curious about how you can do well, right. Does that make sense? Like if it fuels that fire, then I, I think it's very useful. I think for the most part, the way most people think of competition, it's not useful. Because I think Mm -hmm. most people hear that word and they think about being better than someone else or winning or being champion or all that other stuff that is really just gobbledygook, gets in your head, gets in your way. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I was wondering, that was going to be my next question, if you think that it hampers people as well. Like I know Mm -hmm. that, uh, so I stopped actively competing, but I was extremely competitive by nature. Mm -hmm. It's pretty vulnerable that I'm even saying that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I just something it stopped. I didn't want to say it stopped being fun. I love being around horses and I love having that aspect in my life. But to actually compete and do it, I thought, God, I'm just it's so exhausting. It's so yeah. exhausting. I didn't need yeah. to always win, but I was just really, really almost over competitive. And I think it just ended up being not fun in the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I sort of moved away from that. And I just wondered if that was something that you felt maybe hampered people in their development for success as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, you know, there's that quote, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, right? So mm-hmm. as we compare in, in a in a static way, it really affects our ability to be in the moment and find joy and find happiness in the partnership with our horse. And because especially our sport is not, it's not track and field, you're not in starting blocks, you're not simply, you know, the more juice you have, if you know how to channel it, the better. Sometimes there's a competitive aspect to to our sport in particular that can interrupt the communication that you have with your horse in a not good way, right? Um, and so really competitiveness, I think 
honestly, at the core, what you really just have to understand for yourself is how do I best channel this? What's the best use of this fire that I have? And, you know, where can I direct it? How can I make sure it's working for me and not against me, that it is something that's enhancing my experience and not putting me in a really uh, judgy, evaluative place where even as I'm going around, I'm judging it, right? That's the worst is when you're in the ring and you're deep to jump one and you just can't let it go. And then you have seven more jumps to jump. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's so that's where... I always say, you know, let your competitiveness fuel your preparation and your homework and the way you ride at home. And when you're at the show, you put it down, Mm. right? So use it where it's useful. Use it to build a fire. Use it to do the hard work, do the cross training, get up and go to Pilates, like do it there and be very specific about how and when you pick it up and focus on it in a, in a horse show environment because there it, it, it's often misused and it's on accident. And there are some people who really thrive. And I'm, so there's an exception to every rule. And there are some people who ride that much better when they are focused on you know winning and this and that, but that's a real minority. And I think that for sure is someone also that's riding at a pretty high level because most often it's gonna interrupt good habits and, and technique that more beginner and intermediate people are, are working on. Yeah. So then what are some of the common challenges you see people facing today that maybe hamper their goals and success? These days, I mean, you know, if we talk really globally and not just about the last year that we've had with COVID and all of the, the challenges that we've faced even in general, I think before that, there's so there are so many ways to compromise your focus. And, you know, the whole idea of multitasking, you know, that multitasking is a myth. What you're doing is is switching your focus. You're not actually multitasking. You're just switching really rapidly and often ineffectively. And I think that there's just so much going on for people and there's so many ways to be connected to so many pieces of your life at the same time that I think it becomes more and more difficult to be truly quiet and in the moment the way you need to be when you are with your horse and particularly when you're doing something technical with your horse like you you you're the one that knows the plan and if your focus is compromised in any way you're not going to be communicating it as clearly and effectively as you can. So I think challenges to our focus and inability to be quiet and be centered and with your breath um, and in the moment, I think, I think that's a big one. I think people also are pretty results driven in this social media world of they all want the blue ribbon picture to post on Instagram and all of that. I think that's a big uh, draw and it's, it's hard to stay really process oriented when there's all of that kind of swirling around. And I've seen that in the last probably five years that comparison piece is hard. That social media piece is is bigger than you think. Well, that was sort of my next question that you're touching on. My next question was just, 
do you think that some of the obstacles are a direct result of any one thing? And one of my examples was technology, less family time, busier schedules, um, external or environmental factors. So social media, um, you think probably is a key factor in that. It's pretty tough. It's pretty, it, you're adding to the level of challenge quite a bit when the, we have that sort of focus and the temptation to compare uh always, again, you know, people aren't posting a lot of their failures and a lot of the dirty, sweaty, hard work and time they hit the ground. They're not. So you're Mm -hmm. constantly comparing somebody's highlight reel to your dirt and sweat and tears and hard work and getting up early and fitting in the barn after work in the dark and the cold, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? So well, people I, I, they forget that social media doesn't show you the whole story. It's not exactly. the entire narrative. You have yes. your life, which is the entire narrative. But right. then someone else's, you're just seeing the highlights. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. what that the way I frame it for, for people, myself included, is I, I've started talking with clients about the fact that it's propaganda. How much propaganda do you want to consume today? Right? Yeah, that's I never what it thought is. of it that way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, you're, yeah. and if you think of it that way, it's like, Oh, well, do I want to spend an hour before I go to the horse show this morning, like looking at other people's propaganda? Or do I want to be focusing on things that are actually going to help me ride well? Yeah. And be like loose and limber and like have the right energy and have the right blood sugar and like all these kinds of details in our preparation that set us up for success. So I have a a for sure rule that most of my clients, I mean, this is a challenge, but when you're showing that there's no social media until you're done. So I don't <gasps> care if you show at 8 a.m., 3 p.m., whatever, right? It's like, it's not happening. How do you get, get them book, to stick to that? Get them, I, we just, we make, <laughs> I make all kinds of deals. No, I, we, it's a commitment, right? Yeah. That's a, again, we go back to passion. How much do you want it? It's a commitment right? to yourself, really. It is, exactly. Yeah. It's not, not to me. No, absolutely. That's what I mean. It's a commitment of, if if this is something that's really important to you and you value and enjoy your time with your horse enough, you make really smart choices to mm-hmm. support that, right? Uh, whether you show or not. But for sure, as far as c- the competitive aspect and how to set yourself up for success at a horse show, I think that's a really important one that you have other ways to... Because don't get me wrong, I don't think if you show at three o'clock in the afternoon, you need to be sitting around thinking about it. I definitely don't want you dwelling on your course for right. six hours. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, let's focus on, you know, managing your energy, getting good rest and just staying in your happy place. You know, you have your your bubble and and other people's propaganda doesn't have a real place in your bubble as not you're getting you're ready. Done showing. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So do you have techniques that you'd recommend to, uh, or strategies that people can incorporate to help set themselves up for success, maybe in the show ring and outside of the show ring? I know that there's some crossover there. So maybe a few techniques that will work in both. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, one of the first and best things that, that comes to mind when any of her, someone asked me that question is right away, if you want to, improve your mental skills and your mental strength today is to up level the way you breathe. How so? 
that right. So that's not just, and I don't just mean like a breathing technique because I teach a bunch of different breathing techniques. I mean, in general, throughout the day, you want to think about a few things. Number one, slowing your breathing down. So just by taking that control, slowing your breath, making it something that is happening more on a conscious level when, when you can, uh, you're, you're then helping your body be calm, to be more relaxed in the moment, to be more comfortable in the moment. And as when we breathe quickly, we start triggering that whole stress response, right? Quick breath is associated, our body associates that with something stressful, with something that is a challenge, with something that we need to mobilize for, that whole fight or flight response starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. So if you can slow your breathing down throughout the day, you're on your way to managing your energy and, and managing your body mind connection in a really healthful it's like having compassion for yourself in the moment. Like, okay, we're here. It's now like, it's a, it's a mini way to bring yourself back to the moment instead of racing off in your thoughts. So slowing the breath down. Also this idea of, you know, if you, if I say to you guys right now, like take a big humongous deep breath. So just take a humongous I'm gonna deep do breath it. right now. Yeah. Take a huge deep breath. Okay. Notice what your shoulders just did. Right up in the air, straight your up. Shoulders just right, straight up in the air, right? Now, what do your shoulders have to do with breathing? <laughs> Nothing. Zero, <laughs> right? So right? what we want to do instead, that's a vertical breath, right? So what we really want to have is a horizontal breath, which means that your rib cage is expanding 360 degrees. You're really using your diaphragm. You're bringing that good oxygen and energy all the way in. As you inhale, you're expanding your belly. And as you exhale, you're flattening your belly and letting that all go. It feels so different when you do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So this idea of the breathing horizontally and a lot that we do sitting in our cars, sitting in our desks, sitting and watching at a horse show with, you know, belts on and britches on that are not like, let's face it, wearing sweatpants, right? right? When we constrict a lot in our middle section, we're really, we, we notice that you're really impairing your body's ability to take a full and complete breath and really get the oxygen that it really needs. So really be conscious of that. Be conscious of taking horizontal breaths instead of vertical ones, you'll get that much more out of your breathing. And when we're able to be in more of a comfortable, calm, confident state throughout the day, then when we get to something that is a big challenge, like you're walking the, you know, amateur owner jumpers, and it looks meaty that day, and the oxers look super wide, and it's like, wow, this is going to be something. Mm -hmm. Then you've had a full day of getting really quality support so that you can face the challenge. You're not already at a deficit, right? You've already been thinking about your breathing. And for sure, our breathing plays into our everyday life, whether it's at work, whether you're sitting in traffic on the way to the barn. Like this is a technique, you know, thinking about using quality breath is something you can do anywhere, any place, and it will impact your composure and your ability to access your best skills to handle whatever's happening. Yeah. Also, focusing on, you also, the only thing I will add to that is just really focusing on your exhale. A lot of times we focus on the inhale. If someone says, take a deep breath, you go like this. 
And then the exhale is just like, <sighs> right? If you, if you flip that and you focus on the exhale, what part of what that's doing is you're, you're getting rid of all of that used air for sure, but you're also ensuring that the next breath is going to be more full and more complete. So the exhale is a good piece to emphasize that slow and steady exhale. So that's a first thing that comes to mind, right? So our breathing has such an impact on how we feel in the moment, on our confidence, on our body's response to challenge. When we start to imagine that there's a stressful or threatening event. So for some people, um, this happens a lot in their riding, like people walking up to the rail to watch their round, it becomes feels like a threat, right? So your breathing is a really good way to get a handle on that. Uh, Another thing that is really so helpful in like, again, you can boost your mindset, boost your mental skills today by just this concept of catching yourself being great. So often we're ready to pounce on the mistake, right? So instead, again, if you can pivot that temptation and just turn it right around 180 degrees and think, you know what, I'm gonna go to the barn today, I'm gonna pick three times that I did something that was so great and so effective, right? If we're looking with more attention and excitement about catching the, the, t- the moment or the jump or the, the ride out of the corner that was so positive and, and active and, and um, with the balance that you were looking for, that's what you want to focus on, right? What you focus on grows, right? So when we focus on our mistakes, what are we doing, right? We're suddenly <laughs> reinforcing the mistake. That's right. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And negative and conversation, having it, a negative conversation yeah. with yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and really, when you think about it, what you're doing is then reinforcing all of the things that cause that mistake. Right. So so instead, try to try to find, you know, if you can catch yourself being great every day, at least a few times and really take those gems in every ride. There are those moments they get left in the dust if all we think about are the mistakes or the things we could have done better. Mm-hmm. And when we instead focus on the moments where we were doing such a great job, what we're also doing is shifting the belief that it's possible to be great, right? Yeah. So that's the kind of confidence that you want to bring to a challenging lesson or to a clinic with a big name trainer you've never ridden with or to a horse show. Like that's the confidence and that's the trust you want to be able to bring. It's hard to do that if you've spent all of these rides or all of these lessons beating, like driving home, beating up on yourself for the one time you added in the line right. or whatever it might've been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the third thing I would just say, and another way to sort of boost your mental skills right now today is to think about building yourself a pair of glasses that help you see when you put them on, that you see the things around you that are in your control, that you focus on what you can control instead of what you cannot. I have to tell you, that's very hard. It is. very difficult. It is. I've heard this before. Yeah. And here's the thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a very simple thing to do. Simple doesn't necessarily mean easy, right? Mm-hmm. Simple and easy yeah. are not necessarily equated. However, it is something that is a major theme 
in elite athletes. So if you strive to become better, I don't care if you're, you know, just learning to jump cross rails. If you strive to one day do the two six, or you strive to one day, whatever it is, if you want to improve, you see, as you go up the levels in any sport, you'll have people more and more disciplined in their ability to do that. Right. So that their mindset, that their focus stays right on. Okay. Yes. There's a, you know, there's a storm coming. The wind is like crazy right now. Yes. My horse might be fresh, but guess what? I'm going to focus on my breathing or I'm going to focus on uh, making sure that I get to the barn a little bit early or get on early and get to walk for a longer amount of time. So we both get to sort of acclimate to the ring that day. Or do you know what I'm saying? There's always places we, you know, we always control our response to a given situation. And by, by focusing on the response, you're giving yourself a much better chance of handling it well. It's like learning how to be non-reactive. I don't want to say non-reactive, but it's like learning how to just not let the uncontrollable things cause your reaction. Right. I think across the board, right? Right. Riding everyday life, having an argument mm-hmm. with a loved one. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't control what they're saying or doing, but you can control how, right. how, you, how you respond. React. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Response is something you choose. A reaction is a knee jerk like reaction, mm-hmm. which aren't always, we haven't always programmed those, those reactions effectively. So it's sometimes we'll make that distinction of think about that you choose a response that's optimal to whatever situation it is. Like if you're upset that you have to go first in the lesson or, uh, you know, you're, you go up to the, well, these days you go on your phone and you see your, your order of go for the next day. And you're like, dang it. I have to go first tomorrow. Uh, you know, you get to choose your response. So you can respond with, oh my God, I hate that. It's the worst. I'm going to be nervous. Or you can, or you can choose to respond with, okay, I get to go first. Like, this is a great challenge for me to work on. Like, this is going to be something I have the opportunity to improve on. And I'm going to make sure then that I, perhaps I get there a little early. Perhaps I do an extra, uh, full course uh, in my head. I visualize the course one extra time because I won't have had the benefit of watching someone, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, you're choosing an optimal response. And if you, so if you can do those three things, up level your breathing, catch yourself being great and focus on what's in your control. That's amazing adjustment in your mindset. And like, heading into whatever it might be, whatever's ahead of you, you know, bringing your best to the table. So then continuing on from that, I'm very interested and you might not feel comfortable sharing this with us, but do you have a personal mental strategy or a personal mental preparation strategy, I guess, that you use when you're getting ready to compete? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is, it's, it's multi-layered for sure. And I never, you know, anything I ever recommend or talk about with a client, it's never something I haven't done myself. So I absolutely walk the talk. I absolutely have my own routine. I don't end up talking a ton about it because I think the risk when this is your field of work, when you share the personal side, then it, it, what it, what it can do is then you can look at everything I say as like advice 
mm-hmm. and not based on theory and research in sports psychology. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, well, I tried this and it works, so why don't you do this? But for sure, so that's why I don't tend to talk about it, but for sure, I, I visualize. I mean, I have stories of like, like, for example, there was, um, there's a medal final here in California that I have cherished forever. It was a Foxfield medal finals that have mm-hmm. long standing tradition in California. Right. Um, and as turning literally was the only thing I looked forward to in turning amateur was like, yay, I yay. get to go do Foxfield. Right. And did it so many, so many times and all different kinds of things have happened. I gone off course. I've had perfectly fine rounds. I've, uh, what else has happened? One time I went and my horse was mistaken for a sales horse and was driven on to San Diego the night before. I mean, you just, you name it. Right. So, so we were going there and, uh, hadn't been for some years had just taken a pause and, and decided that we would, that we would go. I was able to lease a very nice, uh, horse, of. Georgie Segismans actually, uh, and was so excited. was like, okay, yes, we're going to go to Foxfield. And, and so literally for at least probably four weeks prior, and this is something I absolutely recommend to clients when you have a big show or a big event or like a presentation at work or what have you, that you there's a lot of visualization work you can do at home. Before you right. go, a lot of people think of visualization as something you only do once you know the exact course. But there's so much value in imagining yourself in the setting, at the venue, mm-hmm. being comfortable, executing your plan, being effective. And, and really, when you're visualizing, you're also rehearsing being in the moment. Because when you get distracted visualizing, it's often where you would get distracted in, in real life as well. Okay. okay. So that's a yep. good thing to look out for. So anyway, so there I am like, okay, I haven't been for a while at the time it was still held at Foxfield. So it's all in one day, right? So you've got a warm up round, you've got a first round. They that's do a stress from start to it finish. It was a lot. That's, it was, a, yeah. it's a lot in the day. There's no time to, oh, yay, we're here. If you're, oh, yay, we're here. You're like out of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Mentally, you, it really is different than a show where you have like one class where you can kind of come in and out of your focus or two classes, right? This yeah. is a full day of pretty intense, like you got to be on it. So there's a warm up round, there's a first round, there's lunch, there's a second round, there's a top 10. And then sometimes there's even a work off on top of the top 10. So I'm doing all this visualization work, I'm imagining, okay, sometimes I would do the first round, sometimes I would do the second round and the work off. Every time I did that, I imagined going into the work off on top. Okay. And there's a reason for that, right? Of when you have that kind of a day and that kind of a schedule, you kind of want to imagine yourself handling the most pressure you can imagine. Right. So I know this about myself. I'm great. Like when I, you know, come from behind, like do the harder turn, gallop a little more, like I can do all that. Like that's a comfort zone. Being on top, obviously, with something that you've worked at for years and years, I've gone there for so many times, like, okay, let's, let's practice handling that pressure, right? Let's practice keeping your cool, staying focused on the test itself. So I would make up a test, I used old courses from old years, and really went through and rode step by step, these courses, imagining myself getting ready, the person ahead of me finishes their work off, I start maintain 
you know, like I said, maintaining the composure, thinking about how I was going to confidently canter up to the first jump in the work off that a whole thing. So we go and a bunch of things happened that day that easily could have thrown me off the, you know, like one of the other clients is late coming down to the lobby. We're all supposed to drive together to the, together to the show. She's late. I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to, are we going to be able to hack before we start? What's going to happen anyway? So I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay. I just got to stay focused. We get there. Warm up round. Great. Oh no, no, no. We get there. No, it's, it's even better. We get there. Horses are not braided. Oh boy. Okay. Like we came all the way down the state to LA and something happened with our braider horses, totally unbraided. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Trainer goes into full high speed, you know, hope Glenn is my trainer. And she's the one that came with us that she goes into high speed. She knows how to braid. I'm like, you deal. Like I'm going to go walk like you, whatever it is. So that was a good example of a t- something out of your control could yep. easily have completely thrown me for a loop stay focused, go walk, days going on, all good. Well, then I win the warm-up round, which is like my third time winning the warm-up. So there's, in the old days, in the old days of Foxfield Finals, it was supposedly a curse, right? Like you do (laughs) not want to win the warm-up. So win the warm-up, like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, it's just jumping around. We're just here. You know, our our daughters, both Avery and my daughter Sophie had come. So we were going to, we were planning on, you know, like having our day at Foxfield and then going to Disneyland the next day. So like she runs out, she hears my name, she runs out. I'm just focusing on like, okay, let's just have a moment. That's, that's fun. We're not going to think about the curse, the mm-hmm. curse of the warm up round. Right. Anyway, so days all going well. And, and sure enough, I end up on top going into the work off, which awesome. is remarkable in the sense of like, you don't, you don't really visualize to be predictive, right? You're never like, oh, I'm going to envision it just like this. So it's going to happen just like this. Like, that's not the point, right? It's more that you're giving yourself that repetition. But I will say that it was comforting to know that I had so much rehearsal under my belt of handling that and, and really making it okay. Luckily, mm-hmm. I had done that homework because it also that year was Michael Page judging who takes your stirrups off. Oh, yes, of he does. Saddle, right? Yeah. Now, can I say that the last time I jumped without irons was probably 10 years prior when my back could still tolerate it? My back does not tolerate working without irons. I'm going to use that statement. I just don't tolerate that. My back doesn't tolerate that. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm looking at hope. She's like, look, we're going to medicate you later. Like, we're going to get ad like whatever it takes, you're going to be fine. So I'm like, Oh gosh. So it was nice to be able to handle again, something out of your control Mm -hmm. and you handle it by how you prepare by what you focus on. So I focus on all the hard work. I focus on all the time I put in. I trust the situation. Obviously I trust the horse, all of this. And anyway, it all worked out. But as to your question, do, what do you do yourself? Like, like I said, I do, I I was breathing that day. I had visualized, I had planned to like what I was going to eat when, you know what I mean? Like it was just a whole system. It's a whole thing, which when, when it's a groove and when it's something you've been doing, like in in the beginning, it can take a little bit of effort just to make sure you keep supporting yourself with your routine. And you obviously need to be fluid and flexible with it. And it always changes. Mm-hmm. but it's always a work in progress. It's never, it just like riding, there's always something you can learn. Yeah. 
with writing, there's always more you can learn about yourself or how best to build your mindset or build your confidence, uh, how to focus a little bit better in a certain situation. There's always things that you can do. So it's ongoing. And there's a quote uh, that I really love, which is, and I forget where it's from, but the quote is, do not fear the work that has no end. Mm. It's about the process. It's about staying in it, always being curious about when you do well, why, mm-hmm. right? You, you rode well, great. Well, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Right. You know, how did you set yourself up? What was your attitude like? How did you handle like the miss you had in the warm-up ring? You know what I mean? Like those kinds of questions are what lead. And, and when you find, you know, someone like a McLean or, you know, those kinds of folks, the curious, like a Kent Farrington, he's always curious, always yeah. asking like, what can I do? How can I make it a little bit better? How else can we help the horse? And obviously a lot of the times we focus on the horse. What luckily, like we were saying in the last probably five, 10 years, people are much more open to mm-hmm. sharing what they're doing for themselves as far as their mental skills work and and how they're setting up their focus and whether they're working with someone or things they've read or, you know, all, all of those kinds of questions. But the curiosity, I would say, you know, people sometimes say, well, what's, what makes the best kind of client? Anyone. You come to me, you're someone who's like afraid to trot or you just got a new horse or whatever it is. If you come... Because sometimes people think I just work with like more elite level riders, which yep. is just not really the case. Mm-hmm. If you come to me and you're motivated and you love riding and you're curious about yourself mm-hmm. and you're interested in doing the work, not just talking about the work, talking about the work is not doing the work, right? right. Thinking about the work is not doing the work. Posting yeah. on social media about the work is not doing the work. <laughs> if you're interested in actually getting in and doing work and being curious that's all we need. Like yeah. that makes the difference. Yeah. So how do you keep your mental skills current or how do we, how can we keep our mental skills current? I mean, a lot of reading, there's always good things coming out. I actually have a book club. I have a, uh, inside your ride is the name of my book. And I have inside your ride, the book club, yeah. um, on Facebook. That's a good example. I started that during COVID, um, just encouraging people to, uh, read different sports psychology books. We read, you know, we just finished reading a book called Breath, mm-hmm. speaking of breathing, uh, right. which is phenomenal, which I can't recommend highly enough. It's life-changing. But for sure, reading, for sure, reading interviews, listening to what other folks are doing. Obviously, podcasts are such a great source of, of understanding and keeping things uh, current. I personally do a lot. I mean, I do podcasts like I do... I have a group called the Mindset Boost where we do eight weeks intensive, where we do group coaching, um, which is so nice nowadays. It's a it's a downside of obviously this last year that we're all online and on yep. Zoom, but also it's an upside because you can build community and you can find new ways of learning uh, while you're while you're home a little bit more. Did that not just launch recently? I did last year. I did a I did a longer, more ongoing group. This the mindset boost. I think I'll continue with. It's a little more. There's a little more instruction laced into it. So there's a little more mental skills instruction as well as group coaching and support. So we do like a we have a private Facebook group and we, everyone has a buddy that they check in with and nice. I give homework every week. So there's 
handouts and learnings. And I, I really enjoy it. I really, I think it's, it's so valuable to be in a group setting, whether it's with people at your own barn or not. Like I definitely do Zoom workshops with, with barns, with private barns or teams. But even when it's, you don't know the people, there's so much community. We're, we're such a passionate group, right? That when we share with each other our experiences and we find these common themes, it's, it's so affirming and comforting to know that other people are going through some of the same things Mm -hmm. and to hear each other be creative and how we're solving for different mindset challenges is awesome. I just, I really enjoy it a lot. Yeah. So that's a fun addition to like the individual work that I do. That's the bulk of my practice is working with individuals, mostly on the phone and FaceTime as my individual clients. Yeah. Which range, like I say, range very widely from young pony riders just starting out in the short stroke to people going to the world equestrian games and competing internationally and winning medal finals and all that kind of good stuff. So it's a, it's a wide range that, that keeps me super interested. And I just love the, you know, the biggest blessing in life is to have work that doesn't feel like work. So absolutely. I, yeah. I for sure, I for sure was lucky enough to figure out what I wanted to do and with my parents' help, I think, trust myself to kind of carve out because it was really carving out a niche. Like when I was starting, there wasn't, it wasn't like someone said, oh, hey, I want to be an equestrian mental skills coach. It was, it wasn't a thing. And I'll tell you what was really, Jane Savoy just passed. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, she's a, she's a dressage uh, rider and coach and wrote books on, you know, the mental side of the sport. And she wrote a book called that winning feeling, which I found in a tax store, I'm pretty sure in 92, while I was in grad school and was just like, Oh my gosh, you really can just be niche in writing, you know, yeah. which is, was like, that was the first in inkling. So nowadays when I feel like there's a lot more of us doing what I do, which I think is great, which just shows us that there's more demand right? There's more people that are interested in it. It yeah. wouldn't be occurring to people to who are therapists or who are uh, looking for a profession at a college or whatever it is. It wouldn't be occurring to people if it wasn't really just part of the water more nowadays, yeah. which I think is fantastic. I want more people to be confident and happy and joyful in their, in their riding. So And tap into themselves. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So do you have, uh, knowing that you have a book club and uh, doing all the things, do you have a particular book that you would encourage each and every one of us to read and keep in our back pocket? Well, I think that Mind Gym is one that's talked about a ton, right? Mind Gym by Gary Mack, I think people in all sport, that, that crosses sport. In fact, I'm not even sure there's any equestrian examples in that one. But it's super fun to read, super easy to read. That's a great book. Uh, if you can handle a ton of golf references, all of Bob Rotella's books, I really enjoy. Yeah. That's who actually works. He works with a lot of top uh, writers. Uh, I love Brain Training for Writers, Andrea Waldo. That's a great book. Okay. The Jane Savoy books are great. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. The, the library is big. Yes. I hate to admit I haven't read any of those. Is, yeah. <laughs> my book, 
inside to ride, I always sort of knew I wanted to write a book and went through and was a professional for a long time, was like in the back of my head, I should really make the effort to write a book. And then 2008 came and the financial crisis happened. And so work slowed down. I was like, oh man, maybe this is my chance to write my book. So I did my outline. I wrote my first chapter. I started looking for agents and I don't know why or how, but the downturn for me personally lasted about a month. So I got like a month into this like hardcore working on the book and suddenly I was super busy and I was like, okay, I got to put this down. Uh, a couple of years went by and then my publisher reached out to me and said, hey, we want you to write a book. And I was like, oh, guess what? <laughs> I, I, have the first the done. I have the outline right here. So that's how, how that came about. At first they wanted me to write a book on fear. And I was like, well, that's not really my main emphasis and focus. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I approach things looking at potential. And so I don't, I wouldn't really ever want a title of mine to be, you know, how to stop choking or how to stop being fearful or, you know, that kind of thing. So I kind of talked to them for a bit and, and had them understand sort of my vision. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So. Awesome. That's how Inside Your Ride came about. So Inside Your Ride and people can get that Amazon.com. Yeah, it's on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah. I have one more question that I'm very curious about. Um, I would like to know if you have a piece of advice that might help people, uh, especially in our current global climate. Oh, it's been a very challenging year. And I did a lot of I did a lot of videos on my platforms and talking through kind of what happened like last March and April when a lot of us couldn't even go to the barn. And so, so just all of the, the restrictions and travel and, and seeing people. And I, I think what it helped a lot of us get back to is sort of our purpose. And so anytime you can reconnect with why you ride and the role that your horses, whether they're yours or not, whatever horses you get to ride, right? have in your life and having gratitude for those opportunities, I think our gratitude practices, hopefully, will come out of this being that much stronger. You know, gratitude is such a great foundation for everything in life, right? Mm -hmm. to, to be grateful for the opportunity, to for the relationships, for who we are when we're with our horses, for what challenges we face, the challenges aren't always what we choose, but that we're grateful for the opportunity to to work through things and to be able to go to the barn and be with our horses is, is something that I think the more we can couple our purpose of why we want to ride with our gratitude for being able to ride, those two pieces sort of woven together builds an incredible strength that everyone can lean into in their own lives. Those are words of wisdom for sure. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the What's and Why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? Here's the thing. I look up to anyone who is going after their dreams. Mm -hmm. 
with, with these kinds of questions, it's not so much that a certain person necessarily comes to mind, but I look up to people who are going after their dreams. And like I said earlier, like doing the work, like putting in the effort, you know, putting sweat equity into their vision for themselves or their family or their horse or whatever it might be for the future. It's people with integrity that are doing the work I absolutely look up to and I'm inspired by. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what's something that brings you joy and why? My children bring me joy all the time. I'm constantly amazed by my kids and I just watching them grow up and do new things and, and explore the world. And that's the very joyful, joyful thing, just sitting at even at dinner. And, and in that, in that sense, to talk about the last year, like, sure, we haven't been able to travel, but we've had so much amazing quality time. So that's been quite, quite joyful. A lot of those evenings spent around the dinner table and playing games or hiking, we're lucky enough to live uh, right on top of some amazing trails and and getting to be all together, that's that's been super joyful. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? For sure, I have to say marrying my husband. <laughs> that's a good answer. That's the right answer. <laughs> I would say also, here's one, here's one that I think is counterintuitive, but I think anytime we decide, and I know this is true for me, anytime I decide to do something scary, it's a good thing. And I think so much in our lives, we get suckered into thinking what we're seeking is comfort and what we're seeking is happiness. I think that any decision you can make that feels scary at the outset or feels like a little bit on the edge of your comfort zone, I think those decisions are the most healthy and inspiring and exciting. It's funny that you say that because we've had a couple of guests make that same reference, the same reflection. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Yeah, um, yeah. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? Hmm. This is always the stumper. Yeah, it's because I wouldn't know. I mean, you'd have to ask, I guess, other people. Um, I think I, I think I have a pretty serious resting face. So I think people assume that I'm a pretty serious person <laughs> when I'm walking around and we I'm can not. Say it. Yeah, we can say resting. The, the resting bitch. But yeah, let's go ahead and say it. Let's go ahead and call a space babe. Yep. And so uh, I think that that's. I think because I think I'm far goofier and far like well, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I can dance around in the kitchen with the best of them. So anyway, yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think that's maybe, maybe that's something. I don't know what else. Yeah. I'd be curious. Now I'm going to start polling my friends. Well, you're going to ask like, people. Yeah, exactly. Right, ask exactly. our friend, Lindsay Ransom. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I need more feedback. Right. So then my last question is, who would you like to hear on what's your why as a guest next and why? Piper Glum would be great. I love hearing from kids and amateurs who are making it happen for themselves in unconventional ways, uh, who, who do their own work and, you know, fund themselves or take care of their horses themselves or, you know, figure out ways to ride. I, I find that very inspiring and, and understanding, you know, it's sort of like there's the difference between the people who have the dream 
and feel like it's out of reach and the people who have the dream and continue on simply because they have the dream and they will not take no for an answer. So those people I think are fascinating. Yeah. Well said. Tanya. Yes. You're a joy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, effort, and energy, your love and light, and your wisdom and knowledge. It's uh, it's definitely been enlightening for me, and uh, I am sure to put some of your mental skills into practice. Thank you for joining me today. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why? Our listeners, guests, and our sponsors, too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.